Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there. The Rewatchingtons, bomb in its full Ooh. and unadulterated cut, early drops of Cinephobe episodes, and so much more. You said the OG pod. Now, is it new or is it old? Mace, I'm glad you asked that. It is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old OG pod. Oh. So it's me, Zach, Trey, Waz, Tom. I love those guys. Just like we always were. Going back to the True Hoop days, mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic, recapturing it, and putting it back out. We're talking hoops. We're talking pop culture. And most importantly, we're talking for 40 minutes for free. Mm-hmm. But then another specific Patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes. Funny enough about that OG pod, you're getting Tom and Trey on Mondays. You're getting me and Waz, aka Zosny, on Wednesdays. Amin's floating in between. I'm a floater. You never know when you're going to get Amin in those, so you got to listen to them all. And what if I'm not sure what Maze looks like? Because I've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora. He's got a weird voice. How can I see for myself what this Maze character actually looks like? It's crazy you don't know the answer to this. Hmm. because it's the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. What? The CT5s on the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. You can look at all of us. You can get all the OG pods on YouTube too at CountTheDings1 on YouTube, at Cinephobe Pod on YouTube, patreon.com slash CountTheDings gets you everything all in one feed. You can link it to your Spotify. And now enjoy the show. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money. 
Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Ornovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, what do you make for your mama? What do I make for my mama? Um, oh, that's a great question, Kevin. You always hit me with these amazing, insightful... And I feel like you have the opportunity to think on it, and now I'm like on the spot. What do I make for my mama? Uh, a bowl of ice cream. <laughs> really? That's it? It's, I don't have I don't have a go-to dish. My mom, uh, you know what? If I she loves a good burger, she's kind of um, she's kind of just a jock when it comes to her appetite. She's uh, she likes her French fries. She likes a burger. Uh, she's oh, not one man. of these people with a Your salad. Your mom's fun to eat with. My mother hasn't had a hamburger since 1979. Yeah, see, my mom is awesome. Like she's oh. she's great to just go to like the local Wendy's and and oh, and she no. uh, like and she's one of these people who she would exercise to eat. You know, so it would be, it'd be like she she ate uh, you know spaghetti with ragu and then the. Uh, ice cream for dessert and all this stuff, but she never was, you know, really heavy because she always exercised. So she, um, mm. I think a good chocolate chip ice cream from Briars uh, is really where it hits the spot. I mean, I, nope. you know what? That's that's my that's my uh, that's my preparation. No, my mother loves desserts, but in terms of savory food, she eats essentially like like Sally and Harry met Sally. It is it is exclusively dressing on the side. Mm. Can you make that without butter? Can I do that as an egg white omelet? Steamed. It it is. It's a very. It's a. It's a very uh, sparse sort of palate. Though she is very good with desserts. Yes. Uh, You know what? My mom and nobody else I know has ever liked is the durian fruit. The durian fruit, which I've had once in Singapore, wasn't into it. But uh, the durian fruit is stinky, and it was. It was the source of the quick fire challenge. I saw one funny comment on a video about how to prepare durian fruit, which I kind of went down a YouTube rabbit hole. And it's a woman of Southeast Asian descent sort of commenting on all these commenters about how terrible durian fruit is. And she wrote, durian stinks, say people who eat cheese every day. Yes, yes, yes. So I I thought that was very funny because it's regarded as just like repugnant. And yet I think to a lot of the world outside of Europe and, and, and kind of Anglophonic countries, like the fact, or Francophone countries for that matter. I mean, the fact that anybody would ever touch or eat or enjoy blue cheese is absolutely revolting. Just as durian fruit is revolting to many people yes. who eat that sort of cheese. And on that note, Kevin, I wrote down all of the quips from Top Chef, their descriptions of durian, and I want to ask you your favorite one, your favorite description of durian. Okay, so I have, it smells like a porta potty. It's like really stinky French cheese that was put in a plastic bag with socks used after mowing the lawn. I don't like it, to be honest, Eric said. Uh, you you can't make a dish you love out of something you hate. Spiky monster of a fruit. Big fruit that smells like garbage. It's gross. And then my favorite part was when Kelsey, no, uh, Sarah was cooking with it. And she puts it on a spoon like her dish, and she's like, "Hey, Kelsey, can you taste this?" And Kelsey just looks at her like, uh, "Okay." And she takes like the littlest tiny bite, and she just starts to gag. So, Kevin, what is your favorite reaction to the durian fruit on this episode? Just because it's a nice, tidy little aphorism, I do love Kelsey's. You can't make food you love out of something you hate. I mean, that would yes. be me kind of working with like a cilantro, yeah, a like a little cilantro. Yeah, like, I don't know what I would do with that challenge. I have no idea. So did you like the durian? Was it was it uh nah. 
I'm I mean, saying, I, I, I'm saying it like not just your experience eating it, but I'm saying the the durian aspect to this episode. Did you like that? As oh the no, no, I, I really like it. I mean, it's a really good challenge, which is, and it was very interesting to see sort of how people work around it because I, I like it sort of as game strategy. On one hand, you can hide it, and you're probably going to get the ickiness out of the dish if you hide it. Mm. But by virtue of hiding it, if you hide it too much, you might get dinged. So it's like it, I like it as a game theory exercise. Yeah. And, but if you if you use it too faithfully, you're gonna have something that just tastes lousy. Like you saw Padma's reaction when she tasted Michelle's, uh, you know, the ceviche, uh, the ceviche with um, the durian spumone, because you were sort of like, oh, she's done, she's done, because it clearly just it had this bite that that. Padma was did you dish. have some what's the acid in there oh that's the durian that's the durian <laughs> and uh no by the way doing a, a spumone is ballsy i mean so what she does is just a coconut cream and you know grinds up some ice with the durian and then does this shrimp ceviche with a what essentially is a, a portuguese chimichurri and she wins the quick fire i do i want to give michelle who will be joining us later i want to give michelle like like she she has been cooking very good for a very long time now since she's been back in the competition and even prior to being bounced for her for her uh, her rub arena ribs. But uh, that was the winner. And uh, so uh, Sarah also got a nice uh, praise for her mm-hmm. crispy bass. Uh, did a curry, which is dangerous, right? Curry mm-hmm. is sometimes seen as a can we sort of hide the ingredients? You know, Eric, last week with the curry sort of you know, got ding for not fully uh, paying homage to the ingredient. But Sarah does it, a little dinosaur plum, and uh, it works well, whereas Kelsey clearly hating the fruit. By the way, Kelsey and the – that was my favorite one because the judges come around and the guest judge says, you know, know, frankly, uh, it was very nice to look at, but other ingredients took away from the durian. And Kelsey – Totally insouciant. It's just like, yep, you're yep. right. <laughs> yep, nailed absolutely. it. The other ingredients took away from the durian. <laughs> that was the point. That's what they were there for. And um, so it was just very funny that Kelsey just like completely owned up. Yeah, I basically obscured this revolting fruit as best I could. Wait, so it, do keep- you do you when you eat um, when you eat the durian uh, back in Singapore? Are you smelling it? Are you unhatching it? Are you are you like carving into it or is it already prepared sand spikiness? Mine was on this sort of like fruit buffet-ish kind of thing. So it was almost presented like almost like a pineapple, a piece okay. of pineapple or something. Like it was just they had already done all the work. And did the um, reputation precede itself? Did you Yeah, know I mean it, it tastes I know it like my best way I could taste it, it tastes oniony. Like it's sort of you know like that that feeling when you think like you've put like you ever like by accident put salt in a cup of coffee as opposed to sugar or something like that, or you like you, you think you're drinking water and it's a sprite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like or whatever, or you think you're a sprite and it's actually water or something, and you just are like Ugh. like there's just this moment where I think it's the, the the element of surprise in a bad way, where it's just like you're getting nothing of what you want. Yeah. Um, and and then you sort of make sense of it. It's like okay, it's not if I knew that going in, and so the next bite you're like, okay, this is gonna taste like slightly old onions. You know, when you mm-hmm. try to like, well, am I sauteing these things? Can I get away with this? Like when I find like the onion from three days ago in my fridge and I still want to work with it because I don't have another one. That's kind of what it's like. But it's just like, why is this fruit oniony? Fruit, fruits are not supposed to be oniony. Well, I, I thought that I thought that uh, Michelle did a really smart thing here is she chilled it, right? She um, she muted the flavor of it because I think 
I know that I know the Padmas like was hit with a you know the the initial reaction was like whoa what is that but um, you know like the office party foul or the office foul of like if you have tuna fish and you throw it in the microwave and like I don't do this I who microwaves tuna fish that that's a thing um, that people will like take a tuna fish sandwich they want it hot so they go in the office like break center and they blow up the entire office because they wanted to heat up some tuna fish and the last thing if you have a stinky fish the last thing you want to do is heat it up so i always i when i saw that when she chilled it and she made it into like almost like an ice cream um i was like that's brilliant because i feel like if you have a stinky foul smelling fish right you do not heat it up you make it chilled like you 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 serve it ceviche style or anything and she just nailed it i thought she really thought it through this dish um and this is her third quick fire win she has a real talent for for these quick fires she has the most of any any of the competitors this season um and now that quick fires are done she's the champ the quick fire champ and she survived uh, last chance kitchen so there's something to you know we, we praise kelsey for her inventiveness and her her ability to really hack top chef well i think michelle um these little 30 minute spurts are really her strength yeah i mean she's she's been one of the the best chefs and I, I was just dis- I was disappointed to see her uh, eliminated although this was the first week where I just really truly felt like I didn't want to see anybody go home uh, and I don't recall that in previous seasons but uh, let me ask you a question where are you in like food in close proximity like like the the sort of the the habit of people bringing on airplanes in close proximity like a guy the other day yeah. on my flight had a um had like a a a one of those like egg and cheese and ham kind of things from dunk the dunkin donuts and logan and it was just like it's not a bad smell. I, I I just think I don't know. It's like they don't feed you on planes. So on one hand, I'm sort of like you can't begrudge anybody. And I'm not into you know, people should do what they want to do by and large as long as you're not hurting anybody. But I have to say, like there have been a couple instances in the last year where I have somebody next to me has just opened up a smelly ass sack of either fast food or something, and it's just revolting. yeah because it's just like this yeah. is what I'm going to smell for the next three hours against my and there's no way around it. It's kind of icky. Yeah, the thing I was going to say is uh, when I'm on a tight layover, like a tight connection, and I have to pick up some food because, for instance, I'm in Charlotte, I got to go to LA, and I'm doing a quick pit stop in Atlanta, and I need to pick up like a meal before I hop on the six-hour flight. I I inevitably, sometimes, I will have a, uh, a, a lunch, like a little wrap. When I eat, and I always, I'm, I'm always mindful of the fact you don't get like a, a stinky Whopper or something like that. Sorry, Burger King, but like a really loud, um, just something that's going to stink up the whole aisle or the whole section of the plane. So I always, I always go for like a, a Caesar salad wrap or something like that. And um, if you're on a tight connection, I get it. There's not really any anything you can do about that, right? You, you, they don't serve meals uh, even in the, the business class sometimes on those long flights. So I feel like as long as it's not a really uh, pungent fast food item, I'm okay with it. I get it. But if you're showing up to the airport and it's not a connection and you're just going and you have to bring food onto the plane, I don't know. That's 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 I'm not down with that. My thing is. If you're eating, I'm lucky to have my headphones in and I don't have to hear you lip smack because that is my biggest peeve 
if you are an open mouth, I'm a smacker. I'm a smacker. I'm, just, I'm a little bit. I yeah. I mean, I, I've tried. Kevin, the years you're the most like seasoned. Uh, Not when eater, it comes eater. to like like my, my. I always at the Chinese restaurant have the messiest place setting when it like they come and take away the place. But but like, smacking just, is something you can change, Kevin. I don't I remember don't know, this tried, about you, so it's not that bad. I, I realize how much I really have to concentrate. This, <laughs> <laughs> this requires intense intense concentration. But a Japanese food, you can you can slurp all you want, yeah. So like you can. Well, but that's the thing. It's like also, I mean, I have to be honest. Like much of the world, like is just not a faux pas. I mean, it's kind of. I, I agree. It's kind of revolting. But no, I I, I agree, and I just think there's a social contract on flights, and like the best citizens. Who abide most faithfully to those social contracts get things like, as you say, you know, a turkey wrap that's cold. Yes. So it's not going to like. You know, I'm going to bring up like a pastrami sandwich, a hot pastrami sandwich on a flight. I, I think the best people. I, I always pack like one of those bulletproof, uh, like collagen protein bar kind of things. Like I, I yeah. I'm a big bar guy on a. Um, you know what's actually bad smelling? Like on a flight, what? I did the other day, and I felt really bad about it because it was kind of pungent. What? Beef jerky. Like those crave beef jerkies that you find? Really? They smell? They smell bad. Well, they're smoked and cured, and I guess, yeah, if you open that bag, the first burst. But it's not a lingering smell, right? No. Like, a Slim Jim doesn't smell bad, does it? I I haven't smelled a Slim <laughs> Who smells oh, a Slim Jim, Kevin? No, but I mean, no, I'm saying if I were to open a Slim Jim on a flight. I used to... One of my when, favorite when I, processed foods. Uh, you know what? When I was a kid, Kevin, I would... Pull the film, the plastic, almost plastic film off the Slim Jims. Did you ever do that? There's like a sausage no. casing. No, like no, I, casing. You lo- I like the casing because the casing gives it the crunch. Yes, it does. You don't, don't want to lose the casing. You don't want to lose the casing. Anyway, all right. Uh, <laughs> back to the show here. So I'm, I'm really excited because uh, and we didn't really talk about Macanese food last week, but it's just so really – and I think someone said this. I think Graham said this uh, the previous week, which is it's, the, it's one of the world's first real great fusion foods just because you have this – Portuguese influence and I just and it was really cool to be reminded I haven't been there since 2012 but like the samosas are much closer to egg rolls so it has this sort of you know South Asian samosa thing but kind of with a Chinese bent they you know like the, the piri piri flavor that sort of chili with smoked paprika combination is really present in a lot of dishes but they also have like tamarind pork is always like on every menu in, in Macau that was very mm. cool they do this funky thing that I think you would like it's a pork chop bun but it's not like a bao bun, like those fluffy, okay. lovely Chinese dim sum buns. The bun is more like, honestly, it's more of a sandwich. It's more like this this hard European bread roll. And then you just like stick a pork chop. And sometimes the pork chop still has the bone in it. So I'm, I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of the pork chop bun. That was like the best street food in Macau. Um, so anyway, that was uh, – I'm just really excited that the, the Macau was sort of chosen. And the elimination challenge was to combine – Sort of the tr- the culinary traditions of Macau and the region with your culinary traditions. Yeah. So one thing that was confusing about this is uh, th- I think the challenge on a spe- to be very specific was to use Chinese ingredients with your own heritage as like a fusion. Um, and I remember at one point Calicchio, like Tom was like. I, I know that Michelle and we'll get there. I guess we'll get there. But Michelle um, had Chinese ingredients, but she didn't get any Chinese flavor, and I and she really missed the mark on that. And I was kind of sitting there being like, "Wait a minute, that was the whole point was like to use Chinese ingredients with their heritage." And I felt like um, 
you know, it was a little, it basically do a hybrid, right? Do a hybrid of, of Chinese or Macanese food with your heritage. And I felt like this is, this is a perfect, a perfect, um, elimination challenge for at this stage in the game because you can kind of do your own dish but you have to be creative you have to do the subbing in you have to be resourceful uh and you also have to know uh macanese food you have to have studied and i think who was it uh sarah said that she started to teach herself uh, uh cantonese before she went because she needed to learn the language and she was just like i gotta i gotta study up and i thought this was um a really smart elimination challenge for this stage of the game and we'll talk with michelle a little bit um i I think there were a couple of red flags i mean to your point i I hear what you're saying i mean i think the understanding is is you use the chinese ingredients as a means to get the chinese flavor if you use the ingredients but don't they don't translate into flavor then like you know it's the tree falling in the forest yeah um you know michelle kind of fell victim to a couple of things i mean one is so she essentially what she did was a deconstructed cipollini and cipino cipino Oh, what, what am I calling it? Ch- Cipollini. I don't know is what a Cipollini no. is. That a is that a pasta? Uh, <laughs> oh no, no, you know what Cipollini? Oh, the onion, the onion, the onion, the onion. Yes, the onion. yes. Cipino. Yep. Cipino. Um, a Cipollini is 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 like that little baby onion. Yes. Like. Um. So yeah, I'm getting my foodie things mixed up, but uh, you know, it's always dangerous to call something something that it might not end up being. Like, would if she had just said, "This is a." Kind mm. of uh, uh, highlighting sort Stew. of a, like a, a like, yes, or even if you had mentioned that it's deconstructed, or I, I'm taking the component parts of this or or that, but uh, it is also evidence that we're now far enough along in the competition that nailing your protein is no guarantee of anything. I mean, if if, if you believe Tom that she had some of the best prepared seafood they've they've had this season, but um, it's actually interesting. Calicchio didn't mind that there was no broth. Uh, Nilo and Padma wanted broth. But I do think that's part of when you when you say you're going to make something and you, you call it – what you call it is actually important. It, mm-hmm. it, it triggers something in the consciousness of the people waiting for that food. It gives them an expectation of something. Whereas, you know, if, if, if I wonder if she didn't call it that, would it have been a problem? That's a good point. I, um, I thought that, uh, you know, it was – it was kind of adorable to see when when she was told, "Hey, you gotta, uh, we got a seat here. You want to sit down?" And she was just like, "Ah, of course." And then she was like, "I, I need some wine because I I'd imagine it, I've I probably dreamed this before is that I walk into a room and Padma says, "Hey, Tom, would you like to sit next to me and have dinner?" I mean, that's that's like the number one thing that I, I think on Top Chef that it would be amazing to just have Padma look you in the eye and say, "Hey." This, uh, this empty seat is for you. But it'd be really nerve-wracking. It'd be really nerve-wracking to sit there and eat your own food in front of all the judges. And I'm curious, Kevin, because Michelle was pretty hard on herself. She immediately, and maybe this is edited. Maybe she was, you know, uh, she was being very complimentary about her food. But I'm curious, how do you think you would, what your strategy would be when you were eating and critiquing your own food? And I, I don't – who cares about being genuine and, and actually being honest about what you think was on your plate? But I thought the rest of the the uh, judges felt like she had a really good dish and that it wasn't too intense, that it wasn't uh, too rich. And she comes out and says, I really wish I did acid. It's too strong. And I thought, 
Ooh, that's interesting. Like, what do you think you would do, Kevin? Would you go with uh, Eric, who says this is a, a, an amazing representation of my heritage? I love this dish. Uh, Kelsey was just like really inside her own head, looking at all the judges. Michelle was very strong about uh, critiquing it, and I'm curious what you think about that. Well, I can't accept a compliment, so that that's kind of part of the problem. <laughs> like, I do speak. So you would there. be hard hard on yourself. You would try I, I just, to. Be- I, I, I have this issue, which is I can't accept compliments, and it's really strange. And um, there are personal issues there, clearly. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the funny thing is, is, did anyone else make the sort of point that the acid, I mean, the only, the, the main criticisms were that she wasn't faithful to the challenge and that uh, maybe the texture of the sort of the bean um, and the puree were, were, were too similar. So yeah. texturally, she didn't get enough contrast, but... Uh, yeah, she might like there. There's a there's a there there is a there is a cohort of us who just can't accept compliments. Who yeah, just sit there and, and allow people to say nice things about you. There's just it's it's clearly so your skin would fakery. crawl in that. Oh, I I would be terrible in that. <laughs> Although I mean I don't know I cook for people all the time, and I never have an issue. I guess, but those people I would have an issue with. Yes, because it's if, like yeah. bringing Tom Colicchio. It's Padma Lakshmi. I mean, it's, it's editors of the top food journals in the world, right? Like. And there I am sitting there and they're eating my awful food. And it's it's probably the first time you've prepared that food. Like when you're doing – when you're uh, you know hosting people for dinner, it's usually a dish that I'm guessing you've done before just with, with you and Eric, right? Like I feel like you've tried cooking this dish many times before and you know you can nail it. Whereas on this show, you don't know. I mean this is, a, this is the first time you're preparing this dish and you're kind of pulling it out of your ass. That's probably – adding 10 layers of stress there. So I will have to ask her. I mean, one thing I was thinking about is we're far enough along in the competition, Tom, where these chefs are basically being, they know what the challenge is going to be. You know, basically you have two, three hours to prepare a meal for eight that, you know, somehow taps a little bit of your heritage. It's always, that's been the case for 16 seasons. Draw something from your, mm-hmm. your life, an homage to your this, like, and captures the sensibilities of the culinary scene here where we are. So, like, I am curious. We're going to ask Michelle later. Like, she must have known, hey, I'm going to do a play on um, on Chapini. Like, we're gonna, I'm going to do this dish or that dish. I mean, I, I have to w- believe, especially now that they got a chance to go home to their regular lives, research, learn up, you know what you're going to be able to – you know you're going to be asked to make a four-course meal. You know that the groceries available to you are going to be things that are sold in Macau. You can research that. You know what the emphasis are in the kitchen of this tradition in Macau. Like how much of it was just like I thought of it on the spot and how much of it was I'm going to go in. I'm going to do a seafood focus deconstructed chipini or I'm going to do this, that or the other. I'm really curious. I would love to ask some of these chefs at this point in the competition. They've already drawn it up. They've already drawn it up. And I, I, I think that's that's a huge thing. So Sarah won. And Tom, she won for matzo balls. Now, uh, we need to talk about matzo balls. Yeah, please. I, I, I've been I've been so excited since I watched this episode to get get the the Southern Jew uh, aspect, the perspective of matzo ball and the soda water and the comments that I really I wrote these down. Is is this is this something? I didn't know that uh, – are these sayings? Are these like Jewish sayings that uh, you never alone when you say you're a Jew? Um, what is that? Is that something I, I – as a, as a 
grown up Catholic, I had no idea that this is something? Like what? I mean, I, I think I think the, the spirit of that comment is is no matter where you go in the world, you can probably it might it's obviously much harder in some places than others yes, that you can yes. find Jews. Like like I I wrote a piece for the, I mean the New Republic back before uh, it was Chris Hughes destroyed it. Um and uh, I went to like the brush of the Ghana Ivory Coast border and found this ancient community of Jews and did a did a kind of a, mm. a, a piece on it. And uh, but the notion is is that if you if you go to Auckland, New Zealand, you can go to synagogue on a Friday night, you can find your Jews. You, if you, you that, that that they are there is a large diaspora because you know, Jews have been thrown out of everywhere, um, so they've kind of dispersed over over several millennia and um but that you can always find them but but matzo balls are interesting because mm-hmm. every culture has its dumpling right every culture has its burrito every culture has its dumpling matzo ball is the jewish dumpling i'm not a huge fan of matzo balls and i know that's going to be sacrilege to anybody listening who's like how dare you hmm. like matzo balls to me are like if you did the power ranking of dumplings tom you know starting with just like the 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 sheer genius of like the, the chinese tradition or gyoza in in japan um, you know, even the fufu and in, in, in Eric's uh, West African uh, culture, you obviously like Hungarian dumplings and that that sort of thing. Like matzo balls to me are the lowest of the low. Like the truth is, there's just a lot of m- bad matzo ball going on in Jewish tradition. <laughs> there's a, and there's a low you, floor. There's a low floor, and no one's going to insult anybody's grandmother. You're never going to say, mm. "Oh, these matzo balls weren't great." But like to me. <laughs> the variance between a bad matzo ball and like the best matzo ball is merely a very good thing. It's there's no there's no such thing. It's 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 a really tough thing to do really well. And it, the ingredients are basically it's just matzo meal, which is like kind of crumpled <laughs> yeah. up unleavened bread. You know, it's like salt, pepper, oil, and eggs. I mean, it's just not all that. And then obviously, you know, you use sodium bicarbonate, baking soda, or, or, or soda water to kind of lighten it up. Um, I've heard people using kind of like. Uh, egg whites to kind of make it fluffier but the idea is is like so many of these things are like rocks I mean they're really you get into the middle of them and they're just so dense Um, but she took on the challenge and you know determined to make them flaky and she elevated the matzo ball as high as it could be elevated because again it's almost incredible I wanted that dish I wanted to eat it so I mean the 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 savory mushroom consomme the just the whole thing was was right up my alley. Now I I think she did something really smart, and I never heard this, and I'd be curious to ask some of the better Jewish cooks I know. But like she apparently poached the you have to poach the um the matzo balls. You can't just like drop them in boiling water. It's just got to be kind of a water just over the boil, like that that sort of poach mm-hmm. uh, temperature. She did it in a, in a Piri piri broth. So a, she gets the local flavor, and b, I think infusing it with a spicier, like it's not that she dumped matzo balls in a spicy broth. She actually poached the matzo ball in a spicy mm. liquid, which I think really must have helped. Um, if you and and you know, she did chicken thighs, which kind of brought in that chicken. You know, matzo balls traditionally served in a chicken broth, so she got kind of her chicken in there with that. But actually, did a mushroom consomme, that that lovely pour. Uh, by the way, both Kelsey and Sarah did something very smart, which is you pour it at the table because you get the you really get the fragrance. And it's such a gimmick, but I love that gimmick. Yeah, now, lo- and it's so good. Yeah, there is a matzo ball Top Chef connection. Um, if you remember season two winner Elon Hall, who uh, won season two, and he opened a kind of a uh, yupscale Israeli or Jewish Ashkenazi restaurant rather in uh, Los Angeles called the Gorbals, which I think he opened one in Williamsburg, Brooklyn later. I think he opened it like about it's about ten years ago. It's closed since, but they had a bacon wrapped matzo ball, which was always my favorite kind of thing. Um, 
It's kind of hilarious. And it was a good matzo ball. It was a solid matzo ball. I remember going to the Gorbals um, in downtown Los Angeles for my bacon-wrapped matzo ball. And mm. so Elon Hall, I don't know if he ever – did he do the matzo ball for the show? I can't remember. Someone will have to – one listener will have to tell us if this is the first matzo ball that's ever been served on, on Top Chef. I feel like Elon might have did it in season two. But that was literally, what, 14 years ago? Mm-hmm. So um, I'm actually – I remember first running into Top Chef, Tom, when you and I were in Miami – that is the year I got into Top Chef. I went back and watched all of them from start to finish oh. over the over our ten eleven Miami Heat season. That was sort of my zone out activity in the apartment. Was just like I'm just going to plow through the the first five, six, seven seasons of Top Chef. And this is just, I mean, full circle that we're doing this pod then. Yeah, no, totally. So uh, that was that, and then so um, Kelsey does similarly. Does a lot. I mean, again, a perfect example of Kelsey fully understanding the challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is going to be a bow to my sort of my tradition, and oh, by the way, like it's going to have all the flavors, and and it's just like what is becomes this thing that's overthought of by so many other contestants. To her, is just natural, right? Like, she does the low country boil, but does it with kind of a really strong, intense Chinese aromatic broth, right? Like all those dried pungent seafood and like dried mushrooms and, you know, aromatics like Chinese celery, uh, which apparently she didn't have enough of because apparently uh, was it Padma said that she could she she couldn't drink a whole bowl. Yeah. It was just too rich. Yeah. But you know what? I'd rather err on the rich and the the salty side than err on the unseasoned side on top chef at this stage in the game. You want to go full flavor. Yeah. Hey, by the way, what do you think? I what. Would they allow someone to be disqualified because their mother lost their cart in a grocery store? <laughs> Do you think they would actually go through it? Then I mean, I guess they'd have to. The rules are the rules, right? What, what like, would, your mo- how- would your mother yeah. be doing that? Like, what would your no, mother, no, 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 no. as well, a mom- co-pilot in a grocery store on this competition, would she be like, "Wow, they really time you and just be like, like nagging you about like what uh no, 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 no. what this this challenge is?" Or would they? Would would your mother lose the cart? No, would your mother no, be no. super helpful? Like, give me Kevin's mother in a grocery store, no. basically uh, supermarket sweep style. This will come as no surprise to you. My mother is uh, has a method, and she is well organized. I would never let's put it this way. Uh, my my mother has some strengths and weaknesses as a character. I would never. She she would never lose a cart. You would like, you would pull has, Eddie. You would say Eddie, or go go sit over there and eat your your little meal, and and I'll take care of this because I'd imagine Kevin, you might have a separate strategy to to doing the to 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 shop. Your mother your no, mother might my, be like, this is how we're doing it, Kevin. My mother and I would do very well in like sort of a like a like a amazing race type situation. Where we have to split up the grocery duties, get everything. Uh, like she's very my mother's very competent at those sorts of tasks, like list making, um, planning. Like, my mother's very, like, it's kind of where I get it from, you know? My mom is utterly forgetful about why she walked into a room, you know, to get something, like, you know, the basic getting on an age, you know, pre-senility, like I am. But in terms of, like, planning, like, my mom would never be like, I don't know where the card is. Like, that's just not, <laughs> not who my mom is, right? Just, oh, like, she, Kelsey she, must she, have she's had a, woman a, with a My mom is a woman with a plan. Like, she, 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 she would not, no, she, she would never lose a card. But I'm really thinking, like... I also wonder, and one day we'll talk to producers of this show, hopefully on this show, like how faithful are they? I mean, let's just for argument's sake, I'd love to know if Kelsey's mother, that lovely woman, lost the cart in time where they have like they got to get in and out of that grocery store like in 30 minutes or something or whatever the time limit is. If the clock stopped, would they just like, sorry. Like, do they have like mulligans? Like, do they burn? Like, That's is this like question. challenge flags in the NFL where you have like two opportunities to like pull the flag and be like, all right, I just... 
we're, we're going to have to break the rules on this one. Do you think they have that? I mean, it would be – so on one hand, I mean, the rules are rules. Like this is this is not NOM. There are rules. And <laughs> yeah. like, you know, like you, if, if somebody loses a card, I think you have to disqualify them. On the other hand, I just can't imagine I – mean, first of all, the sheer pain you would – you would uh, you, you would inflict on that family, you know Kelsey and her. I mean, can you imagine being Kelsey's mother? And by virtue of the fact that you kind of left the cart, which maybe some nice store clerk realized, oh, this person left. I'm going to restock all the shell, you know, all the uh, all the items, because that's what you're supposed to do. Probably you're just going to leave a cart, and that had actually been how Kelsey was eliminated. I mean, can you? I, I was there was a part of me like you knew it wasn't going to happen. Like you knew they were going to come back from commercial and everything was going to be fine. They would find it. It would be hectic or whatever. But there was a part of me that was wondering, like I can't even no, fathom the, I mean, the level of grief if the a contestant, a really talented contestant's mother, like <laughs> law, like this isn't like your your other partner in the chef testant. Like you're paired up right. with Sarah and Kelsey, and Sarah loses the cart, and you can like blame. This is your mother, right? This is not Eddie fucking you and only giving you one lemon, right? Like this is <laughs> this is your own mother. I mean, the Freudian she traveled kind of, across the the world only to only to basically disqualify you after you've been burning like 19 hour days, slaving in the most like kind of really competitive game cooking competition show ever and your mother disqualifies you because because she she's dim-wittedly leaves the cart randomly in some corner of a macanese grocery store uh, like anyway all right I, I just i had to play that scenario out in my head because i was just like what if that did happen i mean by the way it would be a it would be the greatest talker in top chef history okay. i mean it would go down as one of the like Biggest like bombshells. Yep. Like the Ernest Biner fumble or something. The um, What's the dude's name? The Cubs fan. Chris Webber uh, calling a timeout. Yes. Steve Bartman. It was actually, you're right. That's actually a better. Bill Buckner through the legs. Yes. It's not even a competitor, right? Like, no, it's not even Bill Buckner. It's Steve Bartman. It's like some person on this that's not even in the game basically costing you a championship. Yes. Yes. And um, and we're going to have Michelle on here in a few minutes. And I, I think it's worth asking her. It's worth asking here your very scenario. It's like what what is the what is the gray area here? Like if that happened, what happened? Like what what do the judges do? Or what do the what do the producers do? So right. let's quickly finish up and let's talk about Eric real quick because we have, we have five minutes, Tom. Yep, yep. We have five minutes. Um, he does a goosey soup. Now a, a goosey is is the actual is the is the ground seeds of like gourds, squashes, etc. Um, it is a is a Ghanaian um, dish, spinach and shrimp soup. Uh, and he does like panko fried fufu, which I love. Like do the fufu again, give it a new take, uh, slightly Asian take. Uh, I, it seems like he used winter melon seeds rather than pump- – like pumpkin seeds you can toast up and they kind of work, right? Like you can kind of sprinkle them on top of the soup. Um, melon seeds, I mean, you know, we ever get one in like a honeydew or a cantaloupe, it's kind of like, you know? Yeah, yeah. And apparently it was just a beer break, which is too bad because according to Tom Calicchio, for all the brilliance of Sarah, the Duke of Broth and – and the intensity of the broth in um, in Kelsey's dish, according to Tom, Eric's agusi had the best flavor. Even if his shrimp balls were a bit salty, he had a nice fruit heat contrast. Everything apparently about the dish, he might have won if not for the seeds. The seeds were just like the the judges just couldn't get past it. It's always tough, Tom. Like I remember one at the market once. I was buying shrimp for my um my like. My, my gumbo that I do, like my seafood and okra gumbo that I love doing, and I make like three days in advance and let it sit in the fridge. And, and he persuaded me to keep the shells on, and I was entertaining for a group, and 
everyone to a person thought the gumbo was great, but I was watching my poor guests like have to deal with like holding a bowl and trying to deal with that shrimp, you know, the shrimp shell. Kevin, it's Kevin, just, you kind of have to take them off. You kind of have to take them off. You have to you take can, them off. It's one of my biggest pet peeves in culinary, yeah. uh, the culinary world. Why do we insist on leaving the shell of the I'll tell shrimp you why. in there? I'll tell you why, because the shells is where you get all the flavor. It's where you get all the flavor, Tom. And so it's this – like do, when do you – I mean the deal is if you're really good, you'd go in there and kind of do them one by one at the very end. You would take them off for your guests. But that's messy. Your fingers you – know, it's in this hot broth. But, it's tough. No, I hear you. Unless I hear you're you. doing Not, a shrimp cocktail like, and you can know, use know, the, the know, shrimp shell as a again. handle. Never again. Just just de 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 shell them, and it's not you. I'm not saying like you. It's like you at, in your own home. That's fine. But when you go out to a restaurant and it's like uh, you have a shrimp and grits, for example, like just take the shell off right before you put it on the plate, because yeah, then you're doing the whole like awkward finger, fork and knife, and then you have still some meat in there. Well, I think it's you do also the fork it's and a, knife. right. And I think maybe it's also a statement from the kitchen that like, hey, this is fresh. Like you know, but I, I hear what you're saying, and yeah. I, I will never make that mistake again. Like I basically had it might have been my best gumbo to date, and I've done it a million times. I did the roux. I did not do two roux, like Kelsey. <laughs> that I'm going to next time. I did my roux, but you this, left the melon seeds in there. Yes. I had these lovely, like I had these lovely oysters, and kind of got the, the little oyster juice in there. It was just wonderful, and and I was watching all my guests who were so complimentary and clearly trying to be nice, and also they were a lot of gay men. It was a gay male thing, so like gay men don't like to like be seen at a gathering with other single gay men like peeling shrimp with their fi- like it's just like it was it was a disaster on many levels because um, the the audience itself was not mm. really amenable on a Saturday like sunset boil barbecue like looking nice you know i i i love a good crawfish boy i love a great southern boy like i i feel like that's that's okay because you're you're going in knowing you're gonna get dirty right if you're ever in new orleans let me give you a hint if you're ever in new orleans tommy you were sometimes in new orleans yes there is a group of um at tulane baseball games prior to the game there is traditionally i don't think it's every game i think it's like the first game of the three game set I think they do one of the greatest crawfish boils you will ever experience. Mm. They will welcome any outsider who comes. Um, it's one of those things that's not on any Yelp board and not on any Reddit board or food board or anything else. But it's but on like those who kind of, yep. it, But I, I'm telling you, like, and I don't know, you'd have to, I, I, would, I would figure out who to call or, or put a query because you would hate to get there or not. But like, like, it's just something they've been doing for years and years and years and years at Tulane baseball games. And um, it is like the best crawfish boil i've ever um experienced hello listener guess who's back it's me anthony mays your favorite butcher turned podcast producer and i'm here to talk to you about butcher box butcher box is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep free shipping vacuum sealed packaging it's ready to go right then it's ready to pop in the freezer you get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me, I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that 
out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at ButcherBox.com Dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. And and I, I uh, like... It's true. When you go to Mobile, Alabama, where my buddy lives, uh, one summer we went fishing on the Gulf and we he just like took a giant bag full of crawfish, threw some seasoning in there and, and you know, your little corn in the cob. You got some sausage in there just for flavor and just dump it. They, they put newspaper out on a patio table and then they just dumped all, you know, pounds and pounds and pounds of crawfish onto the table and you just get in there and you just get dirty and you slurp and you, you suck the, the juices out of the, uh, the tail. And it's just amazing. It's an amazing experience and it's definitely very Alabama. And I love that she did that, but I kind of felt like, I, f- I felt like all these dishes were kind of similar. Did you notice that? That like the whole like stew, uh, soupy, like I felt like they all went for the same kind of idea. And, well, I think uh, I think it's a really a broth is a very easy way to get kind of Chinese aromatics. Mm, yeah. So like to the extent that okay, you want to do the protein your way, you know, you want to do like how do I get the Chinese ingredients in there? And the answer is oh, a broth, right? Like like I'll, I'll throw all those dried mushrooms of your Kelsey and 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 dried fish that kind of make a very Chinesey broth. I mean, soup is a staple. Of Asian cooking, and and so you get that right. Like if you're if you're the matzo ball soup, okay, I will. The matzo ball is going to be the matzo yep. ball. Where do I get the Chinese flavors? Oh, the broth, mm-hmm. the mushroom consomme, right? Like I think I think that's sort of how you do it. Um, by the way, uh, yeah, it's it, um, you know, Eric, um, Eric's survived, but he survived the last two weeks. It's gonna be really interesting oh, to see the finale. Yeah. He survived. Um, Sarah and, and Kelsey have sort of stepped forward a bit, and it'll be very interesting to see the finale. Hey, I have an idea, Tom. Do you want to call Chef Michelle Minori for us? Let's do it. It's it's too bad that she got voted off here because I feel like Eric has really fallen, not flat on his face, but he's really fallen off a bit here in the last uh, few few well, episodes. You know, in, in the quick fire, he suffers. He's got one weakness as a contestant. It's sort of count, contra Kelsey. He has a tendency to bury ingredients. I mean, mm. the, the few times he's gotten ding, hey, the garden thing. Well, it, it wasn't vegetable forward enough. Uh, the curry kind of subsumed the, the main ingredient. Uh, the durian was sort of lost in the vinaigrette. Um, and so I think that, and then the seeds were just bad luck. I mean, if, if he'd found a gourd rather than a melon seeds, I wonder if we're even having a different conversation. Hi. Hey, Michelle, it's Tom. How's it going? I'm well, how are you? Uh, doing good. Uh, welcome to pack your knives. We've got Kevin on the line as well. Hi, Kevin. How are you? This is very exciting for me. This is very exciting. What? Oh, thank you. (laughs) 
Well, let's uh, let, let's start here, uh, Michelle. Uh, thanks so much for joining us on Pack Your Knives. We're, we've been meaning to bring you on uh, for a few weeks now, and it just we got backed up here. And we just so happened sure. to get you on the week that you were eliminated from Macau, and it's heartbreaking because Kevin has yeah. been Kevin has been trumpeting your your uh, he, he's been saying all season long that you were the dark horse and that he, you aren't racking up elimination mm-hmm. challenges wins, but you. Uh, you just, he, yeah. let's just say it. You were, uh, a, a, a crouching tiger in this thing where it just felt like you could really, you could really take this thing home. And for this, this episode, it felt like, man, you had like the slightest of errors, if you even can call it that. Uh, and at this stage, that's, what's going to get you sent home. It feels like on any other episode you could have won with this dish. Yeah. Um, after watching the episode, you know, I, I felt strongly about my dish and at this point in the game it's I mean they have to kind of nitpick and and they got me on the connection to the challenge and and I think it's interesting to see how so many people can read a challenge in different ways uh, I thought I kind of nailed it but, <laughs> but then coming back and hearing their their critiques it's you know it wasn't Asian enough do you which think- is funny because do you think if you had called oh. it something other than Chiappini that it would have been okay? If you just I not, do. Oh, I yeah. do, you know. I and think the other, I mean I even like put quotations around the word Chipino and I think when you call something like that, like something that's so craveable and that we know and love, you have to deliver on that. And I kind of I tried to think outside the box when I should have just stuck to what people want. One thing chefs always say is that time is the greatest asset. In Top Chef, They're like that's that's ultimately the biggest challenge. Is is, is you guys, you y'all can cook and you cook amazingly. It's the time is the greatest constraint. And then you, every once in a while, you get the sense of oh, there was maybe too much time, and you suggested as much uh, when you were at the judges' table that maybe you, the mm-hmm. extra time gave you uh, what time to overthink or try to do too much. Um, is there was it, I that? think she called it over ambitiousness. Was that was that what you said, Michelle? Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. And uh, I mean, I agree. Like, I, I consider myself to be pretty self aware, and <laughs> I think I processed that one pretty quick. Um, your greatest strength is your greatest weakness sometimes, and I definitely like use that time to think too much and overcomplicated things. I, you know, like when you're in that kind of a challenge, you kind of have to like be creative. And thoughtful, but also don't make it too hard on yourself. Did you, did you, (laughs) did you, Michelle, go into Top Chef? You saw the different contestants. Did you know that you were going to be so good at quick fires? You ended up with three quick fire victories more than everybody in the competition. Uh, Did you going in know that this was going to be a strength? Um, I had a feeling because I've done a couple of, TV shows with, um, you know, Guy Fieri. I've done Guy's Grocery Games. And so the whole concept of that show is you're literally running around a grocery store, like getting things as fast as you can and and just doing something off the cuff and on the fly and try to be fun and creative. And like it gave me a little bit of practice, I think. And I love the quick fires. I think they're so fun. I, that is not a popular opinion on Top Chef. I feel like everyone hates <laughs> quick fires. Like the chef, like I feel like Kevin, who who was it? Tyler Anderson last season, who was like, "Fuck quick fires." 
Right. Like, like, like it's, it's, it's the scene is like it's not really cooking. It's just it's just slinging together ingredients and that like that, that being a being a chef is is about producing art. You would never tell you. You would never walk into sort of the Top Chef artist edition and say, yeah, you got 30 minutes to create a masterpiece. You go like here. We're going to take away half your paint and you're going to paint with the tip mm-hmm. of your nose. And go like but it makes good TV, right? And it's a good break from what our lives are like. We spend weeks sometimes testing out a recipe or a menu. And, you know, you're not really making something in 30 minutes normally. So it's a fun break from reality. So I want to ask you about the houseboat party because I, I, I think the, t- the moment I, I, I truly uh, became a Michelle fan was when you suggested that the, that the nature of the party should be a trivia party. <laughs> so like while the other boat was going to have jello shots and rambunctious oh, yeah. festive oh, completely God. inebriated people who were going to sing and dance <laughs> like you your boat would offer trivia which would be the party i would want to go to and right? um your your trivia like that was just like yeah this is this is my contestant this is my this is my spirit animal on the show this season is is, uh. is, is, the, is the person who suggested trivia as a as a party additive because that is a party michelle if you ever did hosted a party um, with your ribs, Warriors games in trivia, I would be there. Trivia is awesome. Oh, yeah, that needs to happen. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I want a lot of trivia fans with that little clip there. And that was kind of like a flashback to my high school days. You know, I wasn't the party girl and I'm kind of a nerd who doesn't love trivia. That's um, what I said. See, I was kind of a nerd too. It would have been, you know. And here I'm sitting here like, how was the jiggle juice? Yes. Revolting, Uh, I'm sure. I enjoyed the jiggle juice. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I mean, you're not supposed to chew it up. That's the whole point. (laughs) Yes. Slurp it down. Um, That's right. It was a great party. Yeah. So, Um, I mean, that whole challenge was was a tough one for us, especially as far as like morale. And I... I, I saw it coming. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to make staff meal. We're going to eat. We're going to be great. And then pop open the oven to cook something and the power goes out. Like perfect timing. Did you say conspiracy theory? Did you say this is all, <laughs> this is all fixed? You know, I, I know a lot of people have that suspicion sometimes. And <laughs> if it weren't for like the one man on that whole lake who knew how to fix a boat, like coming in, like yeah, see, Kevin doesn't believe that. Dog. Kevin doesn't believe he actually knew what he was doing. That guy actually was just a prop. I think the guy was like, <laughs> I think he was sack yeah. extra. Like, that's what I think. Yeah. Um, he had but, a cute dog, so I fell for it. Oh, I will always call, fall for a cute dog. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, who is your best friend on the show? Oh, um, you know, I have a really strong connection with Nini. And then uh, I would say Eric. Eric was a great comrade and just a cool person to bounce ideas off of. He's super trustworthy. Um, he looks at food in a really cool, interesting way. And he's such a positive light and just keeps things real. Uh, so I would say I would really enjoy my time with Eric. Did um, I feel like Eddie, Kevin, you, you have a, a couple spirit animals in this competition. Um, Eddie too, right? Eddie too for you, Kevin. Oh yeah, I'm a big Eddie fan. Although I don't think he should wear shorts. (laughs) I appreciated that he did. Um, He just didn't look good in shorts. It's okay. 
Oh, he's one of my favorite people in the whole world. I love Eddie. <laughs> I, I I like people. I, as somebody who's often having to apologize for brooding intensity, I, I'm glad like that Eddie exists and his food looks amazing too. I mean, that's always the frustration of being kind of a fan or even an aficionado of the show is. You know, unlike Project One Way, where hey, you can see here that's what it looks like. Like you don't, you we never actually mm-hmm. ever get to taste your food until we actually come to your restaurants, which we do. Like Tom and I make a habit now of whenever we are in a city. We awesome. a, so for the NBA Finals, um, you will probably be seeing me um, at your joint at some point. Um, uh, I, I will let wow, you know. Kevin's already happen. calling it. He's calling it. Tom, now, Michelle. Will you, <laughs> Tom, Tom, will you come with me? Yes, yes, but you're calling right. it well. that it's going to be in Golden State. I mean, okay. Oh, I mean, it will. It, we'll, we'll see you in the city. <laughs> Really I'm, going I'm out on a limb. A, <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm not at a restaurant right now. Actually, I I left Barzoto oh. in October, and so yeah. Um, so you're so, gonna have to just come to our hotel and just cook for us. Is that what you're saying? Or you're you're just gonna have or to? We could just go to the game together. We could talk to Clay Thompson. Maybe we could all hang out afterwards. Ta- Clay yeah, only I'll hangs out with his, Clay only hangs out with his dog. And like Instagram models, those are the only two species of people. I know. Um, but what? Uh, Jealous. Oh, well, that's crazy. Uh, so, um, so what are you up to? What, like, what do you? What is? What is your net? I mean, what are you doing? What are you working on? Um, so yeah, I took a few months off to kind of think about that, and um, I'm looking at some other opportunities. And just to be like brutally honest, I I'm probably taking a break from restaurants for a little while. Uh, I have some cool things I'm thinking about and just seeking a little bit of work-life balance right now. Like when I was at a restaurant, I was working 16, 18 hours a day sometimes. And it's grueling like mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, And I recently got engaged to a wonderful man who like runs summer camps and just taking like, yeah, thank you. Huge warrior fan. Um, He's awesome. And, so, yeah, just looking for some other opportunities and hopefully be able to support my community and do something good for for women in the industry uh, during that time and also take care of myself. Well, um, restaurants, I imagine San Francisco is a really, really hectic place. I mean, the rents are really high. Mm-hmm. Spaces tend to be smaller. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you know, like I think about, you know, Sarah's got a, this wonderful opportunity, right? She's bringing... She's bringing a certain kind of food to, you know, a city probably doesn't have a lot of it. Uh, the rents are cheaper. Mm-hmm. There's more freedom. There's more margin for error. Not that she makes errors, but that just it is a less hectic. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, 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 basically, the, the the chasm between opening a restaurant in San Francisco, where like you're paying yeah. God knows how many it's tens of thousands bad. a month in rent, versus mm-hmm. you know in, in Paducah, a community that's thrilled to have like it, it i imagine just the level of stress and he's gonna see like eric has something kind of interesting going on in dc right like he doesn't work in a restaurant he does restaurant quality food yeah. like watching what what um what brandon does right like it does seem like there are mm-hmm. opportunities outside of the grind to do really cool oh, yeah. things in terms of food oh yeah i mean i love the food universe that we live in and there's so many opportunities and and restaurants in san francisco are probably like the most competitive in the country and and you know rent and labor it's it's going through kind of a crisis right now so i don't want to put myself through that (laughs) it's interesting i i um i'd imagine there's a bunch of opportunities or directions you can go and especially with this top chef 
show and, and your performance on it. Uh, I'm sure people are coming out of the woodworks like, hey, have you thought about doing this? Yeah, I mean, definitely there's been some opportunities and a lot of interest. And I think one of the coolest things I've gotten out of this experience is meeting so many interesting people who are trying to do good things in the world. And um, that's probably been the biggest takeaway for me. Um, hey, so I have to, this is the point of the show where I ask a nerdy cooking <laughs> question because yeah. um, so you cooked what you know, the judges call one of the best dishes of the season. This was your garden um, um, homage mm. to your father, uh, the snapper. And um, so I yeah. love fava beans. Like, I love fava beans. But you know what I hate, Michelle? Mm-hmm. I hate What's that? I hate peeling and trying to cook with fava beans and, like, spending two hours and having, like, <laughs> a cup. Like, tell me, yeah. what is the it's shortcut? It's a labor of love. Oh, like, is there any way, am I doing this wrong? Like, what is it? Like, I would love to do a fava bean uh, ragu. Like, like to me, that would be the Mm -hmm. greatest accompaniment to some of my proteins that I work with in the summer and late spring. And like, it is just, but it's like, I just spent two hours peeling like Uh a cup of fava beans. Like, what can Uh I do? Help me. I have a sense that she's not going to give you a hack at all. And it's just, you got to no hack is there. This is just it. This is the way of the world, isn't it? I'm screwed. Sometimes you got to put in that labor. Yeah, I'm. My trick is I take the big fat ones and I give my sous chef the little skinny ones <laughs> that are hard okay. to get. I will give my sous chef, <laughs> um, who's like me in an hour, basically. Like that's who my sous chef is, unfortunately. So, the, yeah, the bigger ones are. So I should probably look for the bigger ones if it's just like a pain in the ass. Or I could just pay the $9 a pound, the one farmer who actually shells them already. And that's generally what I do is I'm just like, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to buy the pre, yeah. although that's kind of cheating too. So, you know, but sometimes yeah. shortcuts will save your life, but you know, sometimes yeah, it's I mean, worth it. Cause that plate of food is sort of my perfect plate of food that like springy garden, uh, that snapper you made, um, with the beetles. Thank you. I was really proud of that one. Oh, I mean, and, like, and again, I just like, ah, oh, fava bean ragu. Like I should be so lucky to construct that at some point. Right. I wanted that dish to look psychedelic and fun and happy because when I listen to the Beatles, that's how I feel. So I think I nailed it. All right. You did. Um, Question we asked Kelsey last week, I'll ask you. If you could modify one rule change, like change a fundamental rule of Top Chef, the competition, what would it be? Oh, the whole thing in general? Um, Like the first thing that comes to mind, which is probably – lame <laughs> but i wish i could wear a watch like yeah, you have no sense of time that's what she said that's what she said really <laughs> and not in like a, a I mean, eighth grader way that was what exactly what she said she was like I, we have no concept of time and she would wake up in the middle of the night and as a new mother she was just like freaking out uh, because she just had she she didn't know whether it was eleven thirty at night or five in the morning I mean, you don't realize like how much that messes with your psyche to not be able to wake yourself up. It takes away a lot of control, this sense of time. <laughs> so um, I wanted to ask because we we usually get these like scenes from the first, you know, Kentucky or at the house. But what is the living situation in Macau? Like what you don't have yeah, access to a watch or clock, but like are you in separate hotel rooms? Like how does it work? Um. So we have a suite at the MGM Grand there in Macau. And um, I think we always almost have to share a room. Eric got his own room. And 
Um, I had a room with Adrian, so I I had my own room for like a day or two. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we all kind of just share the same space. So you're always together, you know, like eating meals. Um, And I remember early on the show, Brian had said that he was mistaken for Chris Anderson, Birdman. I don't know if you know Birdman. um, Oh, yeah. Yes. So was he hanging out with – was like all of the contestants together or was it just the finalists together? So when you're – yeah, when you're filming, um, you're kind of in this whole Top Chef world. You're only with whoever's still filming and – but yeah – so when they brought them out, when they brought them out for the last episode, I think it was, uh, the, for the first episode Uh of Mikhail, you generally hadn't seen those people. No. Yeah. We had enough. There's, they're really good. Uh, everyone's got like a handler and they're so coordinated just watching the production staff and everyone involved in casting is it's mind blowing what they do. And that's a, that's a hard job keeping like a 15 grown ass adults like <laughs> away from each other and telling yeah. them what to do <laughs> did the um uh what was it like seeing your mother there oh my gosh having my mom in the cow was the best surprise i could have asked for i did not see that coming she's pretty good at keeping a secret <laughs> did kelsey did kelsey's um, mom really lose um lose the cart because kevin and i were discussing before oh, we've got to talk about this what 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 would happen and what did happen? Are there gray areas? If like Kelsey's mother lost the cart and lost all of her food, would she had just not had that food? Like what would the Top Chef producers done? I mean, knowing how strict they were with us, I'm pretty sure Kelsey would have been screwed. So her mom, you know, thank God she found the cart. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking we were talking I'm about that. Sure. Like, can you imagine? Like this lovely woman comes all the way from Dothan, Alabama to basically disqualify her daughter from the most intense competition show on television, like who has slaved uh, for 19 hours a day or whatever the hell it is you guys do. And only to and then like, your mom takes you like, down. The, the, the Freudian implications of that are just mind. No, shopping is hard. And I, I think all the moms are really surprised and they came in like, this is real. Like we really have to run and find these things. All right, so food you just don't like. I can't say that there's... (laughs) I'm not just trying to be, like, politically correct or polite here because I am a pretty brutally honest person. Uh, Everybody on this season was just a fantastic human being. No, 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 not person. Food. Food. (laughs) Food. Food. Oh, no, 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 I would never ask that. I would never ask that. No, no, I would never ask that. Food you don't like. Food, like like item of food. Like I'm, Uh, you know, I have my own aversions. Tom has his. I'm always curious what chef serves um, like. Like Calicchio doesn't, like you can't make ochre for the guy. Ah, yeah. um, That's so funny because I get that question a lot and maybe I'm just like a fat kid at heart, but I pretty much like everything. Yeah. Uh, I've always been really adventurous and... You know, I've done omakase menus before, and it's always funny when the chef just stares at you and he gives you something really weird looking. And I remember once I got fermented snails and fermented squid guts. And the look on his face when I liked it, I was like, okay. I, I remember getting that heart. in Tokyo with whale sperm. 
Sorry, what? Okay, I haven't tried that. Whale it's a little sperm. off-putting. It's it's exactly as you imagine it. And Wait, it's not, and it's was not it bad. a sperm sperm? Like a sperm whale it's, sperm? It is a whale sperm. It's whale sperm. Oh and my like, god! Like I, I, I will make it no more safe for work than that. Like that's just. It's, <laughs> and it was actually fine. Use your imagination. Yeah, but um. All right, best. All right, given that you are you are not cooking in San Francisco in a kitchen at the moment. Uh, game one Thursday night. Game two. Uh, Sunday night, Friday night is off. Where we went to Lazy Bear last year for our Friday night meal, Tom and I. Oh. Where would we go Fine. this year if we want truly? And we both love that, like like omakase tasting. I leave it in the hands of talented chefs. I don't even need to order off the menu. I trust you if, if the recommendation yeah. is good. Like we have one meal. Um, what do you got for us in San Francisco? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is just somewhere that. I think it's always fun is Stapered Provisions. Have you been there? Um, I have not. I have not, but uh, I've been recommended that before. So give us the scouting report on Stapered. So Stapered is a whole different like experience. It's a restaurant, but they also have these cool little food carts that people push around and it's, it's just a fun way to eat kind of like dim sum style. You can order off the menu, but then this beautiful cart with really beautiful little bites comes around and you have to say yes to all of them because they're the way they think about food is just really fun. It's the kind of food that chefs want to eat and mm. all these bright flavors, like interesting textures, things you don't really think about putting together. I would recommend that place. It's fun. All right. So speaking of San Francisco, we've cleared our throats here. We've gotten all the, the amateur stuff out of the way about food you have the floor. Talk about the Warriors or ask us a question about the Warriors, whatever you want to do, because we know you're a big super fan about the Warriors. So uh, let us have it. <laughs> awesome. Um, okay, so uh, where do I start? Actually, I love the Warriors. And, okay, first of all, I want to say I love statistics in basketball because the best person on the team is that best person based on facts and stats, right? It's not subjective. And I freaking love that. Um, <laughs> the way into Tom Haberstroh's heart. This is, this is the battle right he's now. been fighting for 10 years. Uh, right. That's like, you can't argue that. And I love the Warriors and Steve Kerr. I love the leadership style. I think, you know, they focus on being mindful and having fun and, that's also how you should be in a kitchen. Like that's what cooking is. Have fun because it's just food. Have fun playing basketball because it's just the game. But also like work your ass off. Um, and there's a team aspect to being in the kitchen, right? Oh yeah, you need everyone. Everyone on that team is equally important in some way. Um, so I really I love watching the Warriors because they're such a good example for all of us. I mean, I love Clay Thompson. He's confident but humble at the same time. And I kind of feel like he's my spirit animal because mm. we're both kind of base cadets in some ways. Like, Did you know he reads the newspaper before make... every game? No, I didn't. Is that his, his ritual? Yeah, he sits at his locker with uh, – Kevin, do you know what uh, periodical it is? I do not know. I haven't been in that uh, – actually, now I'm going to be in that locker room in a few weeks. I will um... – 
he he I, sits I, I will, with the see. actual the actual print the the print version of the paper and just reads the paper it gets him in his yeah. zen it ramps him down and he just gets in this uh this zone I for for nba games isn't that pretty cool so cool i love that um nba players and a lot of athletes in general have a ritual and that's something that I would always remember before I would go to work. I'd do something, have some kind of ritual. I don't know why it just calms me down. Um, it kind of gets your mind ready. <laughs> so what is your but, favorite Warriors team? Is it like run TMC? Is it like, uh, is it the pre Kevin Durant Warriors? Is it the, uh, the, um, uh, 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 uh why am I blanking out with the, the, the We Believe Warriors, where they knocked off Dirk Nowitzki in the first round. Baron Davis, yeah. The Baron, da- right? Baron Davis, Stephen Jackson era. Like, what is when when Michelle Minori like thinks of her favorite Warriors team? Which team is it? So I'm not gonna lie. I'm not like a huge buff. Like I haven't been following basketball for a long time. I just recently got into it about three years ago because of my now fiance who's a huge fan and I love love watching with him because he knows like all the drama, he knows all the backstory, all the history. And so I started watching when Pachulia was playing with us. I I love Pachulia. (laughs) Someone says that's the funniest name to say. It's the best name to say Zaza Pachulia. There's nothing more enjoyable than saying that name. Oh yeah. He's fun, but terrifying at the same time. So, yes. I mean, this whole new era is, is probably the best, only because I've gotten to experience it so close to home. Yeah. So um, the uh, the Warriors are uh, – they're going to be steamrolling here. They're, they just had a bad loss to the Celtics. But um, have you ever served a Warriors player, like um, a basketball player, at a restaurant or just like at any event? Have you ever met them? No, I haven't. I, I recently got to go to warm-ups of courtside, which was cool because uh, Steph Curry accidentally hit me with the basketball, which is like <laughs> such an honor. <laughs> but, but I would love to. So if you can make that happen, we would be best friends for life. Okay. Kevin, who's the biggest foodie on that. the Warriors, you think? Who is the biggest foodie on the Warriors itself? Do they have uh, I'm just going through their Andre Iguodala, like I, I don't know, like who who would be who would be the most likely to be a um, a guest judge on I mean, Top the, Chef? I mean, I, I know the coaching staff has good taste, actually, in in sort of road meals, like go to good places in Minneapolis and like when they're on the road in Western Conference cities and stuff. Do I know anybody on that roster currently? Well, does Steph does Steph have a pretty refined palate because of Aisha? Because she's she's kind of a, a chef. I am married to a chef. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I think of him as being simple. Yeah. Like not in a bad yeah. way. Just like what, what is what is this? Something to do with Charlotte where I live, Kevin? What is no, that? No, 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 no. He's just like he's you know, <laughs> he's Steph Curry, right? Like there's it's just kind of um it's ecumenical. It's like it's populist. I don't know. Um I'm trying well, to think. I, do the Warriors have like a chef that follows them around? Because that's something I was trying to figure out. Ooh. Ooh we have the, all right, we can Kevin. start this campaign. Now we have a campaign to start. They need a new team chef. Yes. They need a new team <laughs> chef. Um, by the way, there's a wonderful – I mean, Michelle, there's like more and more – this is something – I mean, you're a Bay Area person, so it's not like you would probably go to another NBA city or maybe not for long term. But like more teams are getting into sort of smart young chefs who 
are oh, sort of yeah. interested in a not exactly restaurant, although there are times where it does emulate restaurant cooking, but not really. Like the situation in Philadelphia is brilliant. There's a young chef there who's a huge NBA fan who, who's the Sixer chefs. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'll, I read that article. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep our ears open. We're going to keep our ears open. This is All a, right. We have a project, Tom. They, we have a project. We do. They need to eat good food, healthy food, and delicious. They do, and it's it's a struggle because there is so many. Like the the most amusing thing is I'm in a lot of games in Atlanta just because I'm not, I don't live there, but it's where I grew up. And just I have yet to be to a Hawks game where the visiting locker room after the game they didn't bring in like 17 sacks of Chick fil A. And yeah, and Charlotte, yeah. it's Bojangles. Yeah, right, right, right. So there, there's yeah. a lot of lip service to hey, yeah, you know. You know, we don't want our cooking to be inflammatory. We want it to be healthy, local ingredients. And then you, there, are, there are nights where that is definitely the case. And then there are nights where you walk in and it's just like, like, I, I just, that, that is sort of, that is generally the plan. Yeah. They're professional athletes, but they're still human. They so what, what is a pre-meal, like the night before a game, I guess you would want to, you know, serve up some pasta just to carbo load? Yeah, I mean, carbs, you need that good lean protein, lots of nutrients, something that's going to give you energy the next day. That was amazing. Go ahead. Well, I studied sports medicine in college. I eventually dropped out and (laughs) went to culinary school. So, I mean, sports and human anatomy fascinate me and there's such a connection really. Kevin, did she studied sports medicine? This is wild. And oh, by the way, like believes in the integrity and the supremacy (laughs) of statistics to make value judgments. And oh Oh, man, yeah. So I, I, I think yeah. This is uh, this this works. Yeah. Like like she's your spirit animal, but she's also my spirit animal. So I'm I feel like there's going to be a tug of war here, Michelle. Uh, this is this was amazing. Uh, anything else that people get wrong about Top Chef that as as you're watching, you're like they didn't get this, or the the, the viewers didn't see this, or I, I wish we had seen more of this, or it's more like this. Anything that you can think of before you go that you want to get off your chest? I mean, there's so many things that that we film they have hundreds of hours to distill until what 45 minutes there's it's so hard when they show certain things because you don't know what happened before or after or why somebody did something um like why am i flossing my teeth at the table in the last episode that's so embarrassing Wait, did you, did you <laughs> i didn't miss this I, I missed that uh i'm sorry i brought that up then because <laughs> it's like <laughs> The only time I've gotten trolled on social media, really. And it's like, you can't just say cut. Uh, Guys, I got to go take care of something gnarly in my teeth. Like, you just have to do it. And I didn't realize that the whole nation would watch that on camera. So (laughs) So give us us the play-by-play there. What happened? What happened? So you had had a huge chunk of of shrimp in your your teeth? What? (laughs) We're, like, eating breakfast in Macau, and I'm talking to Sarah, and to be honest, like you're surrounded by cameras all of the time. And so I didn't even realize I was on camera. Well, she, like she told me like you got something in your teeth. And so someone off camera gives me this little floss thing and I'm like trying to get it. And all of a sudden I realized like, Oh shit, there's cameras. Here. And, they did you uh, dirty. They gave you the floss and then they, they filmed it and put it on the, that's mean. Someone is mad at me, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we're all human. <laughs> So that was in the Macau uh, – oh, that was at the beginning of this episode, this latest episode when you guys were yeah, hanging out? Yeah, great way to 
Yeah, just and then I'm like drinking some beet juice and I flash there on my red teeth. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes. Just yes. Goofy weirdo. <laughs> yeah, I have some manners. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Michelle, thank you so very much for joining us. It has been a pleasure. Uh, thanks, guys. I had a wonderful time. You guys are awesome. If, if we can get this done, Kevin, the uh, the PYK campaign to get uh, to get Michelle as the team chef of the Warriors, let's make it happen. Okay, and Those and you might lucky guys. And you might see it. Um, we appreciate the food recommendations as well. Yes, um, yes. We, we, we are likely diners at State Bird on that Friday night, but uh, we shall see. Awesome. Let me know when you're in the city. Will do. Thanks so much, Michelle. Thanks, guys. Uh, Kevin, take why don't you care. take this out? For Tom Haberstro, for Chef Michelle Minori, this is Kevin Ornaments, and this is Pack Your Knives. endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.